sweet heart. Yeah, so I'm hanging out with my sister as I do. Anyway, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pokey London Flat series with me, Afro7. Today I've got a special guest. I know I say this every week, but I do feel like it's a special edition when she uh, agrees to appear on the show with me. I've got my sister, Roka. Say what's up. Listen to the love. Hello, everybody. Yes, welcome, welcome to the show. Um, yeah, I had to haul up my sister for this episode because she's my favorite person to discuss particular topics with. You know, she brings the appropriate nuance and intellect and insight to these topics, you know. So, Ruka, today we're going to be discussing two things majorly. We're going to be discussing 21 Savage because I think that's important. Just to give a, a view to the people out there. And with this discussion, what I would actually like to happen would be for you to ask me questions because I think I'm uniquely more qualified, in quotes, to identify with his situation than you are. Do you get me? Mm. So there's that. And we're also going to talk about this phenomenon known as thin dom or financial domination. I'm going to get into defining that when we get to the topic, right? So what's up, Roka? Hi. Hello, how are you? Good, thank you. How's it going? It's going well, thank you. You have a good week? <laughs> yes, week? Yeah? Yes. Have yeah. a good weekend? Yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, my sister bought me a Uber Eats. Or was it delivery? Delivery. Yeah, it was mad spicy. The thing is, I think my tolerance of pepper has really gone down because my mouth is kind of burning up right now, and that's quite surprising considering my, at least to me... Your nose is watering. Yeah, I thought my pepper tolerance was nuts, but apparently not. Anyway, so let's get into it, man. 21 Savage, you know, was recently arrested by the immigration body in America, ICE, as it's called. I don't remember what ICE stands for. Immigration Control or something? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember what ICE stands for. Apologies about that. He was arrested last night in Atlanta and um, detained by ICE as a result of overstaying his visa. Further investigations have revealed that, <laughs> look at me saying that as if I was investigating the guy. But further investigations by credible outlets have revealed that 21 Savage uh, did enter the United States legally at the age of 12, no, the age of 11 rather, but uh, his visa expired and he's now 26, so essentially he's been in the US uh, since he was, you know, for 14 All years. All his formative years. Precisely, yeah. for 14 years. So he was arrested yesterday. And um, you know what Twitter does now, the jokes have to fly and some of them are really funny. But I'm really pleased to see that there's a lot of empathy around this issue. I'm really pleased to see that a lot of people are outraged and upset for the guy, you know. We can't, I mean, there's the, there's the fact that, yes, he did overstay. Yes, that was against the law. But I think when you're saying this, you have to realize that he was in the country, not of his own volition, not of, you know, he was brought as a minor to the country and abandoned there. And his papers weren't regularized by people who should have known better. You know, and his lawyer has recently said uh, that he did apply for a visa stay uh, last year. I'm sorry, in 2017, and he's still waiting to hear from the appropriate authorities. So he's since taken steps to regularize his situation. I suppose when he started getting money around that 2017 time, he realized he had to do something about the situation. He put in the application, and that's still pending. So ICE was basically stunting on a boy. They arrested him. He's currently in custody, and they're trying to get him out. So when I read the story, I felt some type of way because I'm an immigrant. Um, I came to the United Kingdom after primary school. So I was around 11 or so when I came here. I was brought by my parents, obviously. Um, 
And I'm trying to think, if somebody has said to me, get out of the UK at 26, how I would have felt. I would have been very hurt because I think by that age, I felt like I was a Londoner. The most exciting times of my life I experienced here. The most important parts and times of my life I experienced here. I wasn't born here. I certainly have definite memories of another place where I was raised on Lagos Island. But I feel like as an adult, I'm a Londoner, right? So, Rocco, what, how did this story affect you and what, what are your thoughts on, on the issue? You know, I feel like we have to look at this situation 21 Savage within a broader context of everything that's happening around immigration and immigration law globally, right? So when it happened with 21 Savage, for me, um, I wanted to take it back to kind of what happened last year in the UK uh, with things that happened to the so-called, with the so-called Windrush scandal, right? And what people don't realise with that scandal is it didn't just affect people of Caribbean descent, people of Nigerian descent, Indian descent, all these sorts of things were impacted. And the reason I bring that up is because I really want to say that so-called citizenship is not fixed. Depending on who the state determined to be qualified to be there or not, anybody's citizenship can be revoked. I mean literally anybody you yeah. could say i've been born there but if you're it the child matter. of immigrants first generation immigrants it could be revoked if you're the child of uh descendant of sharecroppers in the americas who don't have papers they could tell you i mean i mean to to even interrupt you in this country you can be born here but you're not a citizen yeah, until exactly. you're 18 years of age yeah. you have to naturalize yeah exactly there is no birthright citizenship here there at isn't. all so you could be deported. Yep. And, and literally, there are regulations in this country now to say, for example, let's say you've been accused of an attack, terrorist attack, you're a British citizen. They can revoke your citizenship. So you are actually a citizen, not like you've got uh, irregular... You can be born papers. here, raised you, here and you with are a, a British citizen, passport. And they could tell you, we are revoking it. And you so, know what, what the irony of that is? So then where do you belong? Right. So even at this particular time, it's really important to say that Ghana and America are in the midst of a really big um, ongoing kind of diplomatic warfare because America is trying to dump basically a whole load of African-Americans to Ghana and Ghana is saying to us, well, what evidence do we have to say that these people are Ghanaian? Ghanaian. And we're not just going to accept them. So now they're having difficulties around their visa application. So I just really, really wanted to put in that context that we're getting increasingly draconian laws in the West around immigration. And it's important to ask the question as to why. Why is it becoming like this? Um, and then there's questions about this time that we're living in with increasing nationalism, increasing white supremacy and that sort of thing. So that, there's that one side. And then the other side is that you said that very humane side about like belonging. And I think there's an advantage to being like black British because you never feel, especially if you're a black British African, you never feel that sense of belonging. That language around back home is in your... Uh, vocabulary. I mean, I think most of us are either immigrants ourselves or, or children, children of, of first... or grandchildren right. of. So it's still in such clear view, um, even though obviously there's the empire, there's all those things. But so you, or even if you do, you have. I mean, my, our grandparents were born British. Right, exactly, as British subjects. Mm -hmm. And yet, so that shows you how really dynamic this question of citizenship is, really. And I guess it's a bit different from my brother, who just feel, he, like, literally, like, that's. He just feels, I'm 
or from England or from London, you know. So I feel for 21 Savage in that sense. And I'm really uh, happy, hopefully, that this causes black Americans and disperses first generation descendants in America to really wake up because when this ice stuff started people thought think it was Mexicans, just a Latino Latin, issue or Latin people. issue yeah. yeah and it's really not anybody you see people saying that their grandparents were born sharecroppers but didn't have the appropriate paper and now the state of Texas or such states tell them you can't come and vote we don't know you're an American citizen mm-hmm. so this is this is the thing and it's it's really painful and I think we need to be more humane and understand that as these <coughs> these times we're living in these draconian laws will Will really increase to be honest um yeah i mean with what you said i mean i mean i think what's important to understand is identityism can be in flux exactly you know you can you can choose and i use that word deliberately you yeah, can choose absolutely. to belong to a new place of your own choosing you know i think i'm very strong with my niger identity but i have to be honest with myself i'm through and through a londoner like and don't I, you feel it changes like depending on where you go like if you're in a particular place in the world where do you feel more like i'm from i London, feel like i'm, I'm a, Lagos. i feel like i'm a londoner yes yeah, that's, that's just how i feel but here you don't know it doesn't but when i'm in london i'm thinking of niger right like i told you i i mean my online presence is basically a nigerian existence right, right? so i feel very much nigerian when i'm in london but yeah. when i'm removed from london right. i feel like i need to go home and home in that instance is london and what's so ironic about that is that this is a feeling even my parents have and they came here in their early 20s right yeah. and then they feel like well no i'm also british you know yeah. and yeah. that that is their experience i really that thing you said around identity is so poignant to me because depending on where i'm from or imagine you feel the same sometimes you're from london sometimes you're even from south london that's Mm -hmm. how far the specificity can go yeah i mean i I think i don't feel british i never have but i feel very much like a Londoner. that's that's i think my apart from being a black woman a yoruba woman being a Londoner is probably my most it's important like identity, identity because yeah. I'm most comfortable here. Yeah, I don't exactly. watch my back when I'm here. I can relax it. I understand the interactions Absolutely. here. Do you get me? And I don't necessarily have that level of understanding when I'm in Niger mm-hmm. because I feel like I have to be careful. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people expect something from you because you're coming from a different, yeah, place. different place. Like you're privileged. Yeah. They have expectations around what you have in your pocket. Right. You know, and what doors you can open. Right. Do you get me? And I don't necessarily feel those pressures when I'm here. So... Yeah, here, here being London is where I'm at my best. Yeah. I'm most comfortable, I'm most relaxed. Right. And this is an identity that I wear lightly. It you pay your taxes here, you right. pay your bills here, you contribute to the British economy. Right. And I think that's the same with 21 Savage, I guess, right? Like, hey, it's contributed so much. And not that your uh, citizenship or worthiness should be validated upon your But it is, though. I mean, you bring £500,000 here today, you, right. can get, you, you can get the right to stay. stay. So I really do think that's another thing that we should we should think about. like the And the fact that we've really criminalised immigration, even as, even as people who are children or descendants of immigrants... Or immigrants themselves, Or like immigrants me. themselves. We have criminalised it so much that we will laugh at things that are ultimately, or acts that are ultimately criminal. So we treat people with immigration issues like they're some sort like of... an other. Yeah, or some you know. sort of, like, awful mm-hmm, mm-hmm, law-breaking mm-hmm. group. Mm-hmm. But it's very different to people who are so-called expats or, you know, so-called... Uh, you know, like 
I mean, expats, expats all over the world, right. especially in Africa, in Africa, enjoy an exalted position. Exactly. Right? And the funny thing is, a lot of them, in a lot of instances, don't actually have the papers. Exactly. But they're given, they're given the right, and they're not judged in the same manner in because the same they manner. enjoy the privilege mm. of white skin, which yeah. will open a lot of doors for you, unfortunately, in the black diaspora. So we have to contend with that as well. And we just have to... I mean, I'm glad that a lot of the conversation around 21 is... Sympathetic, yeah, you know, sympathetic and compassionate, and compassionate. And I think that's important. Be, we should be compassionate. We really should. And I think you know, I've really been thinking a lot recently about how so many of the things that we believe socially, so many of our ideals, our ideals that were formulated so long ago, and I really feel like we're at this breaking point now with all the urgencies. And as I say to my often. We're living in perilous times and it's really a moment where we can choose to redefine what kind of world we want to live in and what sort of values we want to possess. And we should really see this within the framework of like what's happening to black lives everywhere. If you come to Britain as a five-year-old from Trinidad and you don't naturally, for whatever reason, but your parents were born British citizens or subjects, and then they tell you at 45, once you've got children in a home, we're going to deport you, you belong to Trinidad. That's absolutely ridiculous, yeah. you know, in yeah. all intents and, for all mm-hmm. intents and purposes. And we should use our logic to kind of identify that and not let these outside ideals determine what we feel. I mean, sometimes I also wonder about my own privilege in the sense that I can flit in and out of Nigeria as I please, because... I have a British passport, I have a Nigerian passport, so I can sort of choose mm. where I want to be based, right? And I'm afforded the opportunities that Nigerians in Nigeria are not necessarily afforded. Mm. I mean, that's, that's, an, that's a benefit purely of being an immigrant in the first world, quote-unquote, right? Mm. So certain doors will open for you as a result of that. So, I mean, it's, it's a complicated situation, no, but, I, but, I, but I, think, I think that the overarching emotion that I'm left with is... This fellow has made his life in Atlanta. He's built his career, his family. He's a taxpaying citizen. You can't, at this point, try to... I mean, Joe Budden said... Charity, Joe, right? Joe Budden said something once. He said, as a black man in America, they have a file on you. And I don't know if, that he, if he means that literally, but I do believe that there comes a point where the law gets tired of you. And minor infractions become a big deal because they are tired of you. And I think that happens here, too. Um... So it's, 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 I feel for him, and I really do hope that he's able to surmount these uh, difficulties and challenges at Me this too. point. Uh, luckily for him, he's a man of means, so hopefully he doesn't go bankrupt trying to. Uh, and we should also say, he's got three children. He does, you know? three American three children. Three American children, and I think that's another thing, like, just this idea. You know, I read that case today, the, the example I used, the guy wasn't from Trinidad, he's from Jamaica. And yeah, I saw the it. Home I saw it. Well. You can Skype for children. No, nobody can raise yeah. their children via Skype. Skype. So, via Skype. You know, I mean, but it, sh- it goes to show you how inhumane these laws and the enforcement of these laws can be because I think there's a law and then there's a human, there's right. a human side of things. There's compassion and that's often missing because politicians have targets they have to meet to yeah. an electorate that doesn't understand the benefits of immigration. Yeah. That's just what it is. That's just the long and short of it, right? So it's quite sad, but I really do hope that he's able to come out of this on the other side. Yeah, I'm, hey, very, I'm very, I'm very, I'm very pleased with the way the conversation is taking place, yeah. and you know, I think hopefully marks a watershed um, in the way that native-born Americans, Black Americans, view um, 
Africans from the diaspora who aren't necessarily descendants of Southern or American slavery. I mean, I yes, hope that I hope yeah. that this marks a watershed in the way that uh, we view immigration in the Western world. I mean, I hate that it takes a celebrity to make us discuss these things because, I, like I said, I'm an immigrant. My parents are immigrants, so this is not something that's alien to me. This is something I have to I've had to live with my whole life, essentially. Mm. Right? I have larger. I have relatives. I have friends who have had to live in between the law because exactly. they had they had overstayed, they, they didn't have papers. Didn't have and papers. I know what the fear. the fear, the anxiety that causes you. And a lot of these people really do just want to get by. And, do you know? and I'm not saying countries should throw open their borders and let everybody in. I mean, I think it does behoove us as Africans to fix our own countries, yeah. to, to really pay attention to our own continent. But with all that said, um, an overwhelming majority of immigrants, whatever they are, whatever color they may be, come there to really contribute to the country, be it the cuisine, the service industries, the, the tech industry. I mean, the Music, biggest, the biggest, theater. the biggest tech giants of today are children of immigrants. Steve Jobs was a child of Iranian immigrants. The guy runs Microsoft. Microsoft. Amazon. Yeah. Jeff Bezos is a child of immigrants, right? So it's, I mean, these, these are like mega, mega beans, so to speak, in terms of the the famousness but the point is immigrants have a lot to contribute and we deserve to look at each other and really see beneath or beyond the legal and illegality of of the stay the individual stay in the country um the subject country so yeah i mean this is this is an interesting topic and i really do wish 21 well me too um, you know so that's that on that now moving on <laughs> something less serious but just as serious yes contradictory i know but the tone will be different so yesterday was it yesterday uh-huh. yesterday on twitter um there was a tweet making the rounds from quite a popular twitter personality that goes by that goes by slum flower um uh, a personality known for waging waging wars against the perception of women with saggy breasts you know she wanted to have the right to show off her saggy breast and to demystify the idea that women with saggy breasts are somehow less than because saggy breasts is a natural phenomenon. The way some breasts stand, some breasts fall. It's it's very natural. It doesn't mean that you're less of a woman or you're promiscuous or you didn't look after your body or you were eating the wrong things. It's just that sometimes it's just a natural state of breasts, okay? That's just what it is. So she was fighting for the rights, in quote, of saggy-breasted women. Listen, I'm a grown-ass woman. Once I turn 30, gravity knocked like, cock, 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 I'm here. Do you get me? So I understand that women have to stop, have to stop being viewed through this prism of youthfulness. You know, because we are viewed like that in, in ways that men aren't necessarily, right? So... I was rocking with her with her little crusade on that front. Anyway, to make a long story less long in the words of Joe Budden, yesterday the tweet was making the rounds where she was showing off men in her DMs that were begging to give her money. You get me? And that really set me off. It set me off because I had been discussing with my sister prior to this for a couple of weeks now what I saw as the proliferation of this idea that conversations between young people in particular should be commodified. 
should be a should be transactionalized in quotes and that really bothered me because at the end of the day women young women in particular would be the victims of this as i see it right it's i'm not gonna lie it's absolutely anathema and abhorrent to me the idea that money can buy your woman's attention i mean there is there is the there is a larger point that money or financial well well-being financial capability is how a lot of women balance out patriarchy. I understand that, and that's not the point for debate here. What's really bothering me is the idea that findom, financial domination, that is where a man desires the presence or the domination of an attractive woman over him, and that domination is enforced through financial contributions to said woman. Okay, It's a legit fetish that a lot of people have. Not a lot of people. It's a legit fetish that some people have. Um, my problem starts with this. Mm? And feel free to interrupt, please. Kinks, by their nature, are subterranean. A lot of us have kinks that we don't wear in our foreheads. We have sexual proclivities that are revealed when we're in a situation we're comfortable in. And those proclivities then come out to play. You know, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with kinks. So, you know, uh, you might have read, uh, what's that book? Oh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades of Grey with BDSM, you know, and all that. I mean, even though that was BDSM lights to the aficionados of BDSM. But a lot of you might be familiar with kinks. Most people have vanilla kinks. So maybe they like being spanked, they like being tied up, blah, blah, blah. They have those kinds of kinks. A lot of people like being dominated a lot of people like being dominant. You feel me? These kinks take place mostly in private and mostly between adults. You feel me? Now, my problem with financial domination is I see it as a scam. Financial domination as, as displayed on IG and Twitter, I see it as a scam. Because I don't want to personalize this to Slumflower because she's certainly not the only one. But you have built your audience fighting for the visibility of women who are not necessarily the physical ideal. You have let a lot of young women, as a result of your struggle, a legit struggle, look up to you, follow you, aspire to even be as outspoken and as upright in their truth as you are about their physical imperfections, shall we say. All right, so... They look up to you. Your word means a lot to them. Now, this tweet made the round yesterday, and I saw it. I saw the tweet, the screenshot of men begging to give her money. Subsequently, I saw a video of her saying, oh, how dare you address the goddess without gifts and whatever. Now, my problem lies here. Young people in general, that's men and women, young men and young women, are exposed to so much raw ideology without interrogation low self-esteem issues trying to fit in mm. this and that we're really trying to navigate choppy waters because there has never really been times like today where we lay all out as we do right my fear is this behavior this kink being normalized kink in quotes because i don't think it's a kink anymore when it becomes so common it is no a kink by definition like i said is subterranean so when a kink is so common it is no longer a kink 
it is now the way to move. It is now the way to be. It's a social norm. Where you feel, regardless of how you look, and by me saying this, I'm not saying only people who look a particular way should be allowed to behave this way. You've built an audience. You've built a followership. You've built people who hang on your every word, who don't really have the time or the mental capacity or even the emotional capacity to really interrogate how they feel or to process your stance, who take your word as gospel, and th these are the moves we're making. And I mean, for me, so there's two things. Like, there is, like, this thing where we are encouraging everybody to perform their lives, you know, which, outside of the gendered lens, which I'll talk about in a, sec in a, in a second, is important. But there's this thing where we're saying to people, perform your lives, you know. I am not a goddess. You are not a goddess. You are a human being. That is just the real. That's because you're not into you know, <laughs> or fandom, rather. And you're a human being with a complex range of emotions, views, insecurities, confidence, and all the rest of it. And I think we're diminishing the value in just being a regular human being with all those complexities and encouraging people to perform and become zealots for new age myths you know and you ideologies know, I, I, passions I, I, yeah and religions really mm -hmm. and i would go back and say this is not even anything novel you know the actual idea that women should be economically reliant on men I mean the trope the trope that and, sorry to interrupt the trope that accompanied the screenshots was oh um, something about how men are oppressors. So what does it matter if you oppress right. women? Right, no. Like, this is this is nothing new. It's nothing new at all. And then I'll go to the next thing outside of this question around performance, which is around like the structural realities that women who are economically disadvantaged face, right? So there is a point to say that men have an economic advantage over women for a myriad of reasons, some of which we've um, previously touched upon together in this podcast. You are not going to redress, you know, women experience economic insecurity by encouraging women to do something that has always been, been done. done. Like, this is just not new. I mean, this, even, put, this still informs part can, of why yeah, we are you, where we are out, today. You can put whatever spin on it, which again is part of the performance, but this is nothing new. And so for me, I feel like if you want to own your behaviours, if you want to own your actions, do so. Do not attempt to put this spin of empowerment or this spin of um, morality or uh, subversion on an act that's very conservative. Or, it's bra or very, even bravery. Very, it, yeah, is, it is, or, it is yeah, conservative. There it's is nothing so, to it. It's so normal. Whether you're in Serbia, whether you're in Mexico, whether you're in Malawi, there are women who rely or extract financial gifts from men I mean, to help the, support it's their really lives. The it's, a con, it's a consequence. That's why it's not a kink. It's not whatever. It's the consequence I mean, no, look, of financial look, insecurity. I, 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 do, I do subscribe to the notion that there are people who are subservient or want... Or yeah. Listen, listen, listen. Or want to be submissive financially, sexually, whatever. I, I, don't, right? I don't disagree with that. But what I'm saying is we're not dealing... 
um, with a case of sadomasochism here or even you know look, dominant look, 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 look. this thing is a scam this right? thing is a scam what that's a long or short of it it's a scam we're also dealing with that I think is so important for us to recognise and for me it's like this crux of us talking about feminism outside of a structural reality is this inability for men and women to relate or engage and I in think a that, that really underpins a lot of why we are here so much because the imbalance so the, Im- much. the imbalance is so ingrained within us that this is why my worry is a big one and it's a big one because we have these this is a time where fourth wave feminists are very super vocal about what they will take and what they won't take and i and i'm all for it i mean the lack of interrogation really irritates me like i've mentioned a few times before but i'm all for more vocal women but then what's behind that Right. And also, are we are we trying really really trying to further entrench this idea that financial injustice, financial imbalance is okay, and as a result, what we're going to do is to act like women have always acted, and also which is to I monetize th- femininity and sexuality, and sexuality. Right? And that's I feel like not from a point position of of morality because if you want to engage in transactional sex, you want to engage in transactional, that's your business. Everybody engages my in a lot of transactional. Is, a lot yeah, of things. my question is the positioning of this as empowerment or radical when it's absolutely it's not, not. It's and not. and then on top of it what are we saying to young men if you say to a woman you need to own this as part of your identity because as you said she's acquired a lot of followers through some messages which were very empowering not just the saggy breast movement but just thinking about what your time is worth uh, how you engage men not letting men make you feel bad about yourself so women have already kind of bought into this with those sorts of ideas and then you take that further by now telling them to kind of own this notion that you cannot engage with me as another individual unless you pay for my time. And as I said, this is does this exists within a very big wider and cultural what, reality. And what is and what does that people, say? What does that say? Women are for sale. Yeah, but also not just that women are for sale. We live in an age right now where Everything is about financial transaction and exchange. Right. Everything. Right. If you want me to post your post, you, you have pay, to pay me. me. You want me to come to an event, you, you have, have to, to pay, pay me. me. You want me to kind of big you up on social media, you, you have, have to, to pay. pay me. So it's just, it's absolutely within this framework. And I say it's very much like this, where we're at this kind of end, like capitalism as a problem or neoliberalism. I mean, I think this, this, get the, this, this get the bag ideology is it's really gone, problematic. It's gone, it's gone too far. far. It's gone too it's far. Gone and too I think far. it undermines, I think where my, problem really, where my problem really stems from is this is the neo idea of, of equality. Right. I do think strongly. And I think we mentioned this on another episode of this podcast where we feel like the best way to attain equality between men and women is really financial freedom for women. Mm. Because I think a lot of the structural imbalances exist because men are the more financial. And what do we say? We said there has to be gender. structural measures to redress that. Precisely. Because precisely. she's... She, she, anyone, not, I don't want to personalise this um, flash, but anyone who's kind of saying this, they're saying... Well, this is the order of the day. Why is it conservative? Hence, I'm going to use it to Right, my so there's not really an attempt here to kind of actually go down with the system, you know. So instead, no, no, I mean, instead, this what this reveals, what this reveals is an, is an underbelly of social media and the acquisition of social media power, right? So followership is power on social media. Your ability to influence a lot of people is your, is a commodity, so to speak, Right. 
So are you saying everything you stood for led you here to this point mm. where you're, you're fighting for structural rebalance, mm. you're fighting for cultural rebalance, mm. legal rebalance, mm. but everything, everything that those things represent has led you to the point where you are acting in the exact way that has found women where we are, which is... Subjugated and subjugation. And, and the reason the men who are paying you can pay you is because we are where we are, which is it is a it is a grossly imbalanced yeah. existence where men Jesus. are the ones with bulging purses and women have to contort, bend, flatten themselves in order to have access to the same level and of financial you know, there's something means. to be said around two other things, right? Which is like power, you know, and we need to really think when we're talking about feminism. Many years and we're talking about, well, from my view, we should be talking about how we redress and redistribute power. And we should really try to be undermining and breaking down these things that lead men to have all this power over women's lives in an unhealthy way and make women and men exist in a framework that is not entirely humane. And then the other thing, which, you know, like I was monitoring the discussion that you were having with some of your followers, and I thought to myself, this new age thing where every criticism is received or identified as hating is jealousy. so or jealousy or hating so or lame. envy or coveting it's is so, lame. so cringe. <laughs> it's so lame. Like if, if your response to somebody critiquing oh, it's because you're outside not fine. of a person I mean, so be, say, do you know how many people said to want, me yesterday it's because you're not fine. Yeah, or <laughs> do you want the attention she wants? Is it because you can't do it? Like, no. Okay, I can use my brain to have a critical assessment of an issue without feeling a way towards the person, without feeling that everything they say henceforth is wrong, without feeling like I want what they want. And this isn't going to help us progress, even in this identity as feminist, in thinking that in order to show support, because you could really ramp with, you could really care for Sunflower or anybody else and feel that this position you hold, I don't agree with I it. I don't agree with it. And I think we should be mature enough to start engaging... To be able to entertain yeah, that. arguments and criticism right? outside of this framework of hating or, like, covetousness. Like, it's just a falsity. Like, it's I, so I mean, I mean, what, what and really, lazy. What really affects me is, let me tell you something. I don't want women to be excellent. Let me not lie. I want women... To be able to be as mediocre, right. <laughs> as as uninspiring, mm. as underwhelming, mm. or as brilliant as they want to be. That's what I don't expect women to have or attain a higher standard than men have. I want us to be able to achieve or not achieve the gamut of attainment that's available. That's what I want. I want women to, to be able to be quote unquote regular and normal. Yeah, and say that and is free really from, free from violence. That is exactly and, and that is really what I want. But I really feel that a lot of this stems, and that's why I was so upset with this because I'm thinking young women, younger women than me, mm. you know, are going to be thinking this is the way to be. It is not. Look, not. I'm not out here saying you can't have your king, so you can't. But I'm I'm very certain in repeating myself with this and saying this is fraudulent it's fraudulent it because you're you're preying on not just men who are submissive forget those ones you're preying on young women who are going to end up especially those who look up to people like some not just her because there are a number of women doing this 
not just financial domination, but this mentality that so long as you get the bag, it's okay. And, like, we should really think about this within the broader time we're living in. But, you know, like, I don't know if if you did this, but a few months, a few years ago, actually, in the UK, there was this kind of re this um, quiz on redefining class, you know, British have lower class or working class, middle class, upper class, aristocracy, etc. And they realised that that doesn't really work because you've got young professionals who, for all intents and purposes, have these very middle class jobs, but don't have the means to make them middle class. So they mm-hmm. created this concept of the precarious class. But we have the tastes, we have the jobs, we have the um, the experiences in, su- in such of uh, so-called middle-class people, but we just don't have the wealth or the ownership, right? So you've got this reality of like a precarious living where you your housing is precarious, your job is precarious. I mean, millennials so have it pretty bad. Re- really bad. We're the one generation that's poorer than mm. our parents, right? So you have people just trying to get things. They're trying to get to the bag because they need the bag. It's not even just nowadays that like, I'm trying, like I'm trying to get extra. Like we need the bag. Like we do not have the wealth levels that our parents have. Like I always say to people, my parents' first down payment for mortgage like, six thousand pounds and they didn't even need to do they just wanted to put something down uh today six thousand pounds isn't going to get you even a window (laughs) so you know so i really do think why not frame it in that way if you want to talk about empowerment or just even we're out here trying to survive but a woman's got to do what a woman's got to do which is far more honest and far more real than framing these or performing this identity of godliness, which is just something that could have or come of from radicalism. Of radicalism. There's nothing radical from about this. Effort. And so uh, that's that's where I think a lot of this is coming from. That people we are living in an age in which people are desperate, and people are doing things from that place, you know, or from that kind of precariousness. Like I mean, I mean, I think it's important to reiterate once again that I'm not demanding that women be excellent. You know, because I don't want women to have to strive to a standard that's unattainable and unachievable realistically, right? Mm. Excellence excellence is rare. That's why it, 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 it's, it's, it's so stunning when you come across it. There are excellent women, there are excellent men, but excellence should not have to be the barrier that all women have to attain in order to have that financial freedom. Diligence, sure. Honesty, sure. Hard work on, and all that. So that would be ideal characteristics for all humans to possess, Right. But what really bothers me about this is a lot of young people are getting their 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 stances, their outlook, even their moral compass. The moral right? exact the moral compass is being directed by social media, you know. And then Slumflower herself is rather young, so you have you have young women, fourth wave feminist women, who don't really attach consequence to actions. Now, the, for me, where my feminism functions is, I don't think of myself as one person. I mean, I didn't really have the luxury. I have three sisters. I have a brother. So I've always sort of had to live my life with the view that there are others behind me who are looking to me for guidance. Do you understand? So I've had to make, I've had to be very honest about my mistakes. I've had to recalibrate my own, my own compass, moral, intellectual, mm. and emotional compass, because I I know and I was aware that I influence people behind me, namely my siblings. Right, when you when you're in an exalted position, whether real or imagined, because for a lot of people it's actually imagined, but let's assume it's real. You owe a responsibility not only to yourself, but to other people, because these are the people that allow you, one, the platform to the living. 
Now, what really troubled me is how so many people was, were speaking on it and acting as if... It's gospel. This is not only gospel, but it's perfectly fine. It's fine. And, and also... Wait, juxtapose that with the idea that women need to break free on dependency for, from on, on, on men. And men need to not feel that in order for them to gain access... They need to tender to cash. Women, that they need to tender cash or just do this kind of... It, like power. Like for me, it's like it's like five steps backwards. Yeah, it doesn't matter whether healthy. you have access to the language to couch this in. It doesn't matter whether you have access to people who can validate this behavior. Wrong is wrong. Being a feminist doesn't mean that everything goes. And who am I to tell you what goes and what doesn't? And by all means, I'm not trying to say that I am the arbiter of what's right and what's wrong. But listen, I am my own person. When I see something that I think is odious, I will say something. And this is odious. This is odious because a lot of young women are going to fall prey to this kind of thing. And we have to take the pressure off, you know. I feel like we need to give more room now to let people say, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of... You're not allowed to say that anymore. This thing, You're not allowed to say that anymore. If, if you fuck up, if you fuck up, if so long as you can tender a flowery pseudo-intellectual justification for what you're doing and then wrap it up in a bow of empowerment, everything is a go. Yeah, so, I mean... I don't buy that, I'm sorry. More power to everyone and more power to Sunflower. She's young, we're all growing. That's the truth. 21, 22, 23, we're all trying to figure it out. But we were all trying to figure out that age too. But, like, you just got to really understand the consequences of these things and I would really just implore people to... Just engage critically through ideas through to their natural end. And even if you end up agreeing, give some serious consideration to the alternative positions that have been put before you. Because some of this um, stuff and is and just and I think And I think that um, feminism a la carte. And when I say feminism a la carte, I mean feminism a la carte as per what is served up on social media where you don't engage critically with ideas and thoughts and positions and you just learn to parrot you learn to parrot people you look up to. You learn to repeat the tropes without really understanding how it affects you and others around you is dangerous. It's dangerous because you will find, look, let's be real. Actions have consequences, right? Not everybody has the safety net of people who will say to you, listen, you're moving crazy out here. Like you need to, you know, you need to fix up. Take time, Not yeah. everybody has that luxury, right? And I hate to sound like the annoyed old head, you know, once you hit. Once you hit your thirties, you have to sort of <laughs> be wise in quotes. But no, but really, I'm I'm worried for our young women out there, and also I'm worried for our young men. And the men, yeah, so much in, pressure. In order in order for us to make progress, we need men to be better. We need them to be better because we don't exist in this world alone. The interactions we have with each other inform how the level of progress we're going to make. And if we regress by saying, in order for me to even entertain you, you need to drop peas. What is all this about then? What are we fighting for? We can call it a kink. We can call it a fetish. But when it's all said and done, this is a scam. That's how I, that's how I see it. And and, and, don't, and also just to, before you go, like to quickly say that I, I've, I'm sure many have heard me say on this podcast before that I do agree in principle with the idea that, you know, if a man's going to like take you on a date and he initiates it, he needs to pay 
you know and that's I, not what and we're they, saying and so, but I just want to make that clear in case that kind of retort comes I don't have a problem with that but the idea like to utter a word to you to have you tell them some sort of sweet message in exchange to even, to even send them send abuse them a, a, yeah <laughs> you have to pay me I mean and pay me really for, for a living I mean I think I think when you're popular in life or on social media or whatever there's a megaloman there's a megalomaniacal element that can creep up on you without you realizing Absolutely. it and you need to check that you need to check you, need, to che- you, need, you yeah. really really need to check yeah. that it's, yeah. it's important and don't dress it up as empowerment or radicalism it's like this thing Dream Hampton always used to say it's like tangential but she says she really doesn't like give much to people's thoughts whether they're praise dancing her up or pitchforking her down. Like, she just doesn't invest too much time in other people's opinions of her. And I feel that's such a good good saying and good approach because it changes like the wind. And you have to be really careful what you're kind of putting out there and propagating because I mean, I, I think I like think I think youth... Youth blesses you with this idea that any and everything is possible, right? I think you sort of, as you get older you reassess some of the positions you held and some of the ideals and some of the moves you made. And you'd be like, yo, if I had known then, I would have done a couple of things differently. And I'm not saying that only older people have this level of insight, but it tends to come when you're older and you've experienced a lot of things, right? So I'm all for young people experimenting and trying to figure these things out. But the key thing is we cannot commodify interactions. We cannot make it as if it's okay for people to say to somebody, in order to even breathe the same air I breathe, you have to pay me. Now, the counter-argument to that might go, oh, I can dictate the terms by which I want to engage with you. That's all well and good. Hmm? But when, once you put this thing on Twitter, and it goes, there is a level of pervasiveness that comes along with that, right? There is a level of legitimacy you're seeking by making these things publicly available. There is, valid, right, there is a level of valid right there is a level of validation you seek by making these things publicly available let's just call it what it is if you thought it was perfectly okay you would not couch it in the language of empowerment or radicalism or some kind of redress against the years yeah, of yeah. misdeed by men uh, let, let's be real if you thought this was perfectly fine you would just say it is what it is which is i'm out here just finessing these guys mm. you know so for me, I, I can't even entertain this on a serious level. I think it's so funny. It's a really quite comical. And the men who pay, come on, come on, serious, like, <laughs> really, you know. So that's my thoughts on this whole Findom bullshit. I'm sorry, I'm <laughs> Findom bullshit, you know. And maybe it's because I'm not fine. And I'm short. Girl, you're so fine. <laughs> you're my sister. Is, you're biased. Yeah, but but look, I don't really like. Look, I don't. Eyes. I don't put much stock in that kind yeah, of nonsense. On, to me, it's non. It's Again, pure that is nonsense. Again, reaffirming this right? notion it's that, like, nonsense. your so-called trashes <laughs> to male makes you more valuable. It's, it's if actually, I'm fine, if I'm ugly, I can say I don't deal with an idea, point blank, period. That's it. That's just it. <laughs> that's, I, don't, <laughs> I don't realize how all this stuff is. I don't have to be people's one of the, fans No, one of the funniest retorts oh, you've never had man, you've never had a man buy you things. Like, really? And also, how cringe. Like, Look, as I said, ideas are worth interrogating. Some are stupid, some are good. But to fall prey to the cult of personality and use your good time 
to defend people just because you like them, even if they do really silly things or wrong things, is going to lead you down the garden path. I mean, I think, I think, I think the biggest, the biggest barrier to people really interrogating particular ideas is that they start to see people as always right. Yeah, like everything exactly. they have to say on something yeah. is always valid. And I think that's part of this question around this whole like well-being. Um, economy and economy of empowerment which is what really is we've really monetized radicalism uh, activism in a way where we are buying into people um, as opposed to ideas and so we really do need to just take a moment and really just interrogate some of these activities a little bit more more power to all women you know it's not easy more power out to you. here it's more, hard, more so, power you know. to you more power to you know i'm really out here for the ladies man like i'm out here for you earning earning your effort yeah you know? i'm out here for financial redress i'm yeah. really out here for equal pay women ha- equal pay Women having the liberty to be mediocre, just like men do. Well. Yeah, I'm out here for women getting the bag, mm. but getting the bag in a way that does not, does not endanger the struggle of our foremothers, so to speak. Our foremothers were getting the bag this way. It's not. Annoying. Yeah, or just be real. That's it's it. not. That's it. That's like, just call side. it. Just call it just what it is. Let's just know what it is. What it is. Let's just be real. We don't need. You've to... said it. This is very conservative. You said it right. Yeah. Geishas have been in existence Come for a long time. Exactly. Uh, mistresses have been mistresses in existence for a long time. You know, like, everybody. Is, if you can stroke someone's ego, whether I mean, look, ultimately, boils down to this: men want to buy powerful women they want to reduce you through financial access that's just what it boils down to whether you want to call it findom kink fetish whatever the point is this is there's nothing new under the sun women have been doing this for ages men will always want to possess women exactly always Always. it's not new Mm. and even if you're getting the bag today it doesn't change the fact that you're doing what has always been done so don't lie to yourself and make out like you're doing something radical you're not my sis and and also unlike relations between men and women you know like as a lot of us have been hurt both men and women and i think a radical step is really thinking about how we reimagine healthy relationships between men and women and i mean across across the board and i if i think it's time to start having some of or or really having more of those discussions because of course some of these discussions are already happening but i think that's another side of the coin yeah, when yeah i mean it's 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 beautiful to imagine a situation where we kind of recalibrate our socialization where we understand that we've been raised to believe certain things are, are just plain lies. Inequitable. I mean, uh, yeah, unjust, I mean yeah. the inequity is is plain as day, mm-hmm. right? It's plain. I think that's part of what informs my anger as well. Like, look, mm, if you're out here running game on guys, don't think you're doing something that's never been done, one. And two, don't think that makes you clever. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. It actually doesn't. And I'm not saying the only way for women to attain equality is by slaving away in an office somewhere no i'm not saying that at all but what i am saying is if we're going to boil it down to women getting paid by men to speak nasty to them to talk down to them then let's accept that we've lost this battle already that's my take on that and we're moving on to other more interesting things Mm -hmm. are you reading Oh my goodness, so as you're talking, I was thinking, I was like, what am I reading at the moment? And um, 
Yes, I am reading. I'm always reading, to be honest, mm-hmm. but I haven't read anything um, that's been like super interesting to me. But I do have, if I can do it, like another podcast that I listened to, which was quite interesting. Um, and uh, that is the, I think I sent it to you, the HBR. After, I really enjoy that. After I was podcast is really good. Mm-hmm. So check it out if you if you have some time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm reading actually this book it's called The Brother I cannot remember who wrote it but it's about like a it's a, like a Canadian immigration story and it's this guy mm, their apt. family mm. yeah right mm. their family migrated from uh, I think it was Trinidad actually to Toronto Scarborough <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and just like their, their coming of age story so it's, it's okay it's not great but it's okay yeah, I'm reading. I, I'm reading a recommendation from the podcast you just mentioned. Um, it's called The Truth as Told by Mason Buttle. It's actually a book for young adults, so like 13-year-olds and above, kind of. But I'm reading it because it's a different book, so it's about a an educationally challenged young man. And it's written from his point of view, so it's so his diaries and his experiences. And he's looking at the world and how people treat him. So his friend dies... And another friend goes missing. So he's essentially, he's confused as to the suspicion coming his way because he hasn't done anything. So he's sort of trying to explain to people whilst trying to fit in. And it, it's really, it's really touching. I'm really moved. Okay. Sometimes I imagine like if children just had, and there's some adults that are really kind to him. And it's it's really lovely. And I wish I'd read a book like this as a kid. Honestly, so I'm yeah, I'm really reading. It's called The Truth Is Told by Mason Buttle and is written by Leslie Connor. I'll, uh, I recommend that to you. Please get that. I've also got queued up an orchestra of minorities by Chigoze Obioma. I always keep a book by Nigerian author on deck. If you know me, you know that to be true. So that's my going friend to just started read. reading that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really looking forward to reading it. Let me be honest, because he has this fatalistic idea of life that I. I don't really buy into. Um, his last book really left me messed up. Um, the Fisherman by Chigozi Obioma. Um, yeah, it, it really affected me. You know how things stay with me, so I try to stay away from things that give me anxiety. But gotta rep my Nigerians, man. And uh, yeah, I'm reading. I'm I've got that queued up after I finish the truth as told by Mason Bell. And I'm really looking forward to Marlon James's next book. Oh my God, I've been looking forward to this book for two years, and it's the anxiety the anticipation rather is getting to a crescendo so i need to turn it down um i'm also going to buy that book for one or two people um, i haven't decided how i'm going to choose who i buy the book for but i'm going to decide and i will buy the hardback copy for one or two people so if you have an idea as to why you deserve to get this book get at me and you know you might just convince me. Who knows? Uh, yeah, you might. No friends and family can enter this competition, please. So don't, rookie, don't even try. So yeah, get at me and let me know why you deserve to be the recipient of the book. Um, if I get a really dope answer, I'll buy it for one person. If I get a couple of dope answers, I'm gonna buy it for more than one person. It depends on how I feel. But yeah, that's what I'm reading. I'm, I finished watching a show called So on Netflix. I wanted to watch a really chaste show where there was no kissing, no hugging. No traditional romance, and that show was dope. I really loved it. What's it called? Shitso. Shitso. It's a Jewish name. I can't really say it. It's about a Hasidic uh, Jewish family in Jerusalem. So the trials and tribulations, and you know, flexing the confines of being Orthodox and all that. Mm. It's really good. 
Unfortunately, it hung because it ended off the two seasons, but there were so many unresolved plots. Oh, that's but it's also good because that's how life does sometimes. Isn't you know, something truth? just hang. You never get an answer. You never get closure, and you just have to keep moving. So that's it. That's that's the vibe I'm on right now. Hit me up if you wanna, you know, talk about anything we've discussed today. It'd be my pleasure. As you know, I'm Afro Seven everywhere. So yeah, that's me really. Rokal, any last words? No, just to say thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to come on this podcast. And wishing everybody that's listening a wonderful week. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for honouring the invitation. It's my pleasure as well, as usual. All right. Take care of yourself and each other, and I will catch you next time. Peace.